Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. I am definitely very excited today, very happy. And we'll get to that later on. Um, well, you know, from the title of the podcast, you see it's an interview. So I'm very happy. I want to start by thanking you for the support again. Remember, um, Let's Talk Micro is available in all podcast platforms. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Overcast, Pandora, wherever you're listening to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro on iHeartRadio. Also, it is, uh, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro. And I am on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro One. So go ahead and follow me. I post pictures of organisms. Um, I talked about, you know, I post about the episodes that I have. And in this case, if I have interviews, I, I post about them. So go ahead and follow me, please. On our last episode, I went over oxidase. What is oxidase? So some organisms have an enzyme called cytochrome oxidase, which participates in the electron transport and in the nitrate metabolic pathways of certain bacteria. I'm just recapping like I always do. Getting technical. Very simple test. It comes in a dropper. And you flood the filter paper with it. Then you apply your colony. A positive color is purple and a negative is no color. So just remember a few things that I talked about in the last episode. When you're observing for a color, you do so for no more than 30 seconds. Any longer than that and you can have a false positive result. And also keep in mind that some organisms, they can have a weak positive reactions. So for these organisms, it is best to use a swab. And I like to talk about pastorella. So for pastorella, the oxidase works better with a swab. Now you can try the filter paper and you might not be able to see a reaction. Sometimes if you do see one, you can barely see it. It is almost as if you're almost imagining it. So when you have organisms with, you know, with these, especially if you have a pastorella, like I mentioned, so you do it on the filter paper, you have difficulty seeing it, go ahead and do it on the swab. And then you definitely will be able to see it better. So it's a good technique to use before you actually document that something is oxidase negative. And especially if you know that the result should be positive, by doing it with the swab, you can make sure and it will be noticeable. So within those 30 seconds, you'll be able to see a color if the organism is positive for oxidase. Also keep in mind that when you are choosing your colonies and you know to get your colonies you either with a stick right you touch your colonies you put the stick on the filter paper if you're using the swab you swab your colonies so when you're choosing your colonies and I'm talking about agar use the blood agar primarily and and then a chocolate if you don't have blood agar 
So for example, if you're dealing with a hemophilus that does not grow on blood agar, then go ahead and use the chocolate. But do not use McConkie since this has a color and already, you know, McConkie is pink. So you can have a, you can interfere with the colors and you can have a, a false reaction. So use your blood agar primarily. And if you don't have, if it's not growing on blood agar, then go ahead and use your chocolate. And then we went over some groups and their reactions. You know, we talked about the non-fermenting gram-negative rods, which can have varied reactions, right? Cinnamon is positive, Burkholderia positive, Acinetobacter, Cilotrophomonas negative. And we definitely touch on diseases that these organisms can be implicated on. And where do you see them, like hospital environments? We also talked about the fastidious um, gram-negative rods, which are positive, the ones that I talked about. And then we talked about the enterobacteriaceae or enterobacteriales. So what about them? Do you remember? They are all oxidase negative, no variability. Unlike the indole, where you saw, right, like E. coli is positive, Perdus mirabilis negative, Klebnumo negative. So you can have some members with an indole positive result, and then you can have some members with a negative indole result. So with the oxidase on the enterobacterialis, there is no variability. So please keep that in mind. Enterobacteriaceae or enterobacterialis are all oxidase negative. So if you have an oxidase positive organism, it is not an enterobacteriality. Okay, so please keep that in mind. So like I mentioned before, indole oxidase to widely used tests for gram-negative rods, and you can use them for gram-negative cocci as well, which I will talk about at a later episode, but very helpful. So so we talked about some organisms, most organisms, they tend to be positive for one and negative for the other, meaning one can be in the positive, oxidase negative, like the enterobacteriales. You can have oxidase positive, indole negative, like Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And then you can have organisms that are actually positive for both. Indole positive, oxidase negative, like Aromonas. Pastorella. So just keep that in mind. The only thing is that those can be positive for both, but if you have an E. coli, if you have um, a Klebsiella oxytoca, a Proteus vulgaris, these are indole positive, but they're oxidase negative, just like all the members of that group. And I like to say that because it's, it's important. That's one of their trademarks of the enterobacteriales. They're all oxidase negative. So I like to repeat it as a reinforcing tool. So uh, going back to what I said at the beginning of the episode, I am very happy today because I want to start having microbiologists in this podcast so they can share their experiences. They can tell their stories. You know, there's variability on how we 
identify an organism? How, what kind of media do we use? How does it get worked up? You know, what guidelines are used? Also, you get different parts of the world, you have organisms that are more prevalent than others. So this is very exciting. And as you are listening to this, I hope that we continue bringing on more microbiologists to share the stories. Use this as a forum to share with the rest of the world what you do. So as part of our podcast, I've been telling you that I want to start doing interviews. And the moment has finally come. I'm so happy and excited. Today we have our first interview. Uh, she's an environmental microbiologist all the way from Mexico. Her name is Carla. And here she is. Hi, Carla. How are you? Hi, Luis. Very fine. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for doing this. You are our very first guest. <laughs> yes, I have the... The privilege. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Okay. So um, let's start by uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, well I'm from Querétaro. I, I'm a microbiologist. I started um, the... the <laughs> microbiology degree in the Autonomous University of Querétaro. Um, my career uh, lasts four and a half years. And yeah, nowadays I'm working in a food microbiology uh, laboratory. And yeah, I really love my job. I, I work with, with microorganisms all days. And yeah, I, I do that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Um, we definitely, like I, I, I told you before, my approach to it is clinical. So it's always nice to talk to someone that does, you know, deals with the organisms, but is doing it in a different way with a different impact. Like for us, it's all about the patient, right? Make sure the patient is better, find the organism, do susceptibilities so the patient get, can get the proper treatment. And then, and also, I mean, we report some organisms to the state just to make sure that there are not outbreaks, but it's definitely yes. interesting because you always hear like you're sitting watching the news and then they say, oh, you know, there has been a recall because there's an outbreak of salmonella, um, like don't eat the peanut butter because it has salmonella, um, some yes. contaminated eggs. Uh, e. coli in hamburgers so they start sending like the the numbers of you have this product go ahead and return it but us as clinical microbiologists that's the end of it so then but on your end you're dealing with this you know companies to make sure that their product doesn't have the organism to prevent these outbreaks so tell us more about an um an environmental microbiologist you know what Yes. What do you do? And I know you mentioned your education. So is that what you need to do to go to school to become one? 
Yes, yes. Uh, of course, you have to you, you have to stay to study something like like microbiology or something um, near of that because we have we have to work with microorganisms all day. And um, yes, what we do is um, to receive different kind of of for example swabs, food, uh, waters, and everything that a food company has inside the, the company production. So we, we have found different kinds of microorganisms inside the, the food. For example, we, we work a lot with, we, we deal with salmonella, for example, is the most common microorganism that we find, but also E. coli, also Listeria, um, Mm, different kind of, of quantification, for example, of more general bacteria like mesophilic bacteria. And we count that, we count, for example, moles and yeast and, and also coliforms um, is the most common uh, microorganisms that we find. Um, yeah, we also work with different kind of techniques inside the lab. We have the traditional part that um, it's a rule by norms uh, that are in the country, but also we have, well, we work with um, molecular techniques like PCR is also the most common technique. And yeah, we do that. Awesome. Okay, so as I've been, I mean, I, with, the listeners, you know, I touched a little bit about gram stains, about media. And for those of you that maybe are just tuning in. So normally in the clinical sector, we, you know, we deal with samples from anywhere from blood, swaps from any area of the body, uh, any body fluids, like pleural, pericardial, synovial. So they arrive in the lab and then we put them in media and I talked about media in an episode. So yes. our basic standard setup, depending on the cultures, you know, basically you're, if it's an urine, you get a blood and a McConkie. If it's anything else, your basic, it's like blood, chocolate, McConkie, and anaerobes, if they're, depending on the source, if they ordered them, like any anaerobic media, like CDC, Shalers, and a gram stain. So in your case, when you get a sample, where do you start? What kind of media do you use? Yeah, well, um, always uh, we have to, to put a sample in enrichment, um, an enrichment media. For example, uh, it, it also depends on the microorganism that, that a custom are soliciting. So, for example, for Listeria, we have to make the primary enrichment with Fraser growth, for example. But, for example, for Salmonella or E. coli, we, we use to, to use Picton water. Also, uh, for a technique that uh, it's very traditional, there is more probably number, we use Laryl sulfate growth. Um, we can use it in a simple or double concentration. Uh, it depends if it's a food or it's a water. If it's a water, we have to use a double concentration. 
but if it's a food or a swap, we, we use a simple concentration of lauryl sulfate growth. Um, for example, in some cases, we also use lactose growth. And if, if it's um, Staphylococcus aureus, we use uh, very Parker agar direct. But the other is the primary enrichment. Then we have to, to make a culture with a secondary, um, yes, a secondary culture or something that is new also in Spanish like resiembra or receding. Uh, in this part, we have to, to take a um, little of this liquid that has a lot of bacteria um, posterior um, the incubation time. And uh, yeah, we use, for example, for Listeria, Oxford and Palcam for E. coli, EMB. And yeah, we have another one like for Salmonella, XLD, or Vismuth sulfide. Oh, Carla? Yeah, sorry to interrupt. So uh, you said for E. coli, EMB? Yes. Oh, nice. I remember, I remember EMB from school, beautiful color with E. coli. Um, Yes, it's my favorite one. Well, that is yes. cool. I remember, yeah, when I, like years ago, when I was doing the medical lab technician, like we use it. Uh, but after one that cited the medical laboratory sciences program, I haven't seen it in hospitals here. But, you know, you still see it. And definitely in all other parts of the world, all types of labs, they still deal with it. So that's definitely... Uh, Eosin methylene blue? Uh, yes, eosin methylene blue. Yes, exactly. Is a <laughs> yes, it's the meaning of EMB. Yes, it's beautiful, Maria. I love it, the reaction. Um, that green colonies yeah, are awesome. Yes, for E. coli, it could be um, yes, one one colony with the black center or that characteristic metallic green uh, in the surface. But you can you can discard immediately uh, E. coli if you have pink colonies in the in the agar. Yes. Okay. Good. And so then you were saying for for salmonella, what do you use? Uh, yes, uh, for salmonella, we use XLD, uh, bismuth sulfide, and enteric by hentoin. Yes, is what we, we call that uh, selective media. Um, we use that, um, yes, that kind of agars in the secondary enrichment. And then if you have the characteristic um, colonies that or salmonella. Well, we use we use to compare the um, yes the colonies with ATCC controls. So if we have the same colonies, we we have to make a pass to um, soya tryptamine. That it's a general media just to record recover that colonies and to have a junk culture. And then if you have the, the junk culture, yeah, we use um, TSI or LIA, 
that's to see the leucine descarboxylation and yeah the um, I, I don't remember the word but metabolism of of iron yes iron metabolism for LIA for LIA is it's the the leucine descarboxylation yeah you have we have to to see how the media turns more acid or more alkaline and we compare it with the control so in that part of the process if we if we have that biochemical part sure um yeah we we make the last part that is to to improve the the result with a vitec yeah that is more specific and yeah you have the the name and the well the generous and the species of of that well with a percentage we we sometimes i'm not totally sure of that result we have to make a decision but you have the other part that is the biochemical part so you can um, yes we can um, share that criteria and until to the custom result. Yes. And definitely, yeah, though you were mentioned that the TSI, which is the triple sugar iron. And you know, it's yes. funny, like you're mentioning this, and I am actually I was this week working on an episode for that. So I'll be talking a little bit about that to the listeners um, well, later. So it's definitely uh, a test that especially as a microbiology student, you definitely need to know. Uh, we use it. I mean, here in the states, you definitely get to ask about it when you're doing your board certifications. So definitely might not be used as quite in, in the lab, but it's definitely something that you need to understand how it works. Yes, yes, of course. Um, usually, for example, one of the ATCC controls that is Salmonella typhimorium. Uh, you you have to be sure that is Salmonella because in that in that media also produce um, the uh, acido sulfidrico, sorry. Yeah, hydrogen sulfide, yeah, H2S. <laughs> yes, yes, H2S. So yeah, it's basically if you see that you have to, yes, you have to say yes, this is Salmonella typhimurium, but we have also the atypical Salmonellas that mm, don't make that reaction. So it's a little more difficult to, to make the, the result with that or other ones. Okay. So definitely, yes, those ATCC organisms when widely used in the microbiology community to do your weekly QC, depending on what you, they're definitely, you know, a, a part of our work in the microbiology setting. And before I move on, I know that you mentioned the, that's the term that, yeah, you said the, the, like when you use the siembra, right? So that's you're like you're plating the organism. I does, that's yes. definitely a, a word that I heard a lot. And I told you, I mean, like I am personally, I'm from Puerto Rico, but like I went to school in the States. So a lot of my microbiology terms are always in English, but I definitely work with text. I went to school in Puerto Rico and definitely, you know, sembrar is a word that I hear a lot. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's very common here. Yeah, so like, you know, like esto, or so I'm definitely, yeah, I'm familiar with that. So for all the listeners out there, <laughs> it is 
when you're plating the organism. I want to touch back on the, you, you were talking about the concentration. So maybe can you talk, talk a little bit more about, you said with the water samples, you use a double concentration? Yes, yes. For example, with uh, one methodology that we work a lot here in Mexico, that is a more probably number, uh, we have to use uh, the double concentration of the laurel sulfate broth because, well, the theory says that it's more probably to recuperate a microorganism with this concentration because also the sample is ubiquitous. Uh, maybe you don't have a lot of microorganisms uh, instead of food, for example. In food, you have different kind of, of sugars or proteins or more nutrients that the microorganism can take. So that's why we use um, the simple concentration just for, for food, for example, or swaps. And then uh, it's a more probably because we, we change the, the concentration. And it works differently in, in food than water. For example, in water, we have 10 tubes, for example, and we put uh, 10 milliliters of the sample in each tube. But in the case of the, of the food or the swabs or the sponges, we have uh, the simple laurel sulfate broth. We have nine tubes and we have to divide these nine tubes in three. So the first three tubes has the direct concentration or the first dilution. Then the second, well, the, the other three, um, you have to make another dilution and then another dilution. So you can see, uh, for example, in the, the growth in, in one and in two and three and four and five, anything. And yeah, you have to make a pass of these positive tubes and then the result is based on that positive tubes. So it's just um, a game of probability and it's a very traditional technique that we use here or that is very used in food microbiology industry. Okay. Um, what about gram stains? Gram stains, yeah. I, I really love gram stains. Uh, but here in this lab is something that it's a secondary process. Yeah, you, we have to, to make this first primary uh, enrichment, then the secondary enrichment. We have to say, okay, I'm very, very sure that is this colony, typical colony, colony of this microorganism. I'm sure because also I make the biochemical part and then we make the gram stain. We, we make the gram stain before to use the Vitec or the MDS or the PACS or molecular um, comprobation. Yeah, it's a, it's a secondary process that we, we, we make. Yeah, but yes, we, we, we also use the gram stain. It's a very basic um, technique in a microbiology lab. And, We'll pass the years and in all the world, we, <laughs> we will use this technique because it's awesome. Okay, very good. I just want to touch on, so when you get these products, 
normally or um, from the companies, are they asking you to look for something specifically or to see if there's something in there growing, like to rule out the presence of any organisms? Okay. Yes. Um, well, the company tell us what they want. For example, um, maybe if it's just a water, um, yeah, it's a water of, um, I don't know, something that is not very important in the process. Maybe they only tell you that they need, for example, more, more probably number. But if it's something very special in the process or is the final product, for example, I don't know, a lettuce that will be in the market. Yeah, they, they will tell you that need E. coli, Listeria, Salmonella, more probably number, mesophilic arabibacteria, um, molds and gist. And yes, it's basically everything, basically everything. Also, they can tell you, well, we, we, we want to know if we have Listeria in this product, but we, we want to know the result by norm, by bugs, by MDS or different techniques, because they want to be very sure that they don't have that microorganism inside the product. Okay, yeah, and that's, that's great. I mean, and definitely very responsible of the companies because, yeah, that's the outcome of having a... Um, an outbreak is serious. I mean, the most important thing is that, of course, our patients, you know, us as a population, you know, we can get sick. Sometimes, you know, it can result in death. So very serious outcomes. And then, of course, the second outcome, it's, and to a lesser extent, you know, of course, the financial of having to retire that product. But of course, you know, our main one is always our patients. That's what, you know, you do your work. That's what I do my work. It's always yes. about finding what there is so we can either treat it or in your case, you know, preventing it from going out there to us, the consumers. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty yes. good. It's very responsible of, uh, of the companies doing that. Um, that's great. And yes. Uh, okay. So I guess, yeah. So your gram stains are used to a lesser extent than we do here. I mean, we gram stain all day here in the clinical side. <laughs> yes, you tell me that is something that you make in the first part of your process, no? Yes. Isn't it? So you're the first part of the process. And then also, of course, when you are on the the organism has been plated already, and then we're not sure. Um, so we always do the gram thing just to make sure that what we see. And I like to repeat this over and over because you'll be surprised, you know, like you hear me say it in the podcast. I tell it to students and it just, it keeps happening. Like um, people just do not want to do gram things sometimes. And it is so helpful, you know, case in point, you know, before the interview, we were talking about the Malditov and how sometimes, you know, it has that, it's leaning a little bit towards doing less work. It's like, why do all this test when the instrument will tell me what it is? Well, we had a we had yes. our Molotov. Of course, you know, with this with the COVID pandemic, supplies tend to run short. So one of the issues that we had was that we have no tips for the Molotov. And I'll do an episode about the Molotov. Um, so we had to go back to the old school methods, doing the biochemicals and everything. <laughs> and some techs did get in trouble because they were calling things coagulase negative staff. 
just because they saw them on blood agar, they were white, but it turned out to be a gram positive run. And it turned out to be a yeast. When all you had to do was put it on a slide, do a quick gram stain. Oh, it's not a gram positive cocci. It's probably skin flora. I'm done. So now you get written up, you get in trouble. Um, but more importantly, you put false results out there, which can potentially harm the patient. So I always recommend, you know, gram stain is great. In large facilities like the one that I work with, it's definitely, you know, you can spend eight hours doing gram stains, but hey, it's part of our job. Yes, yeah, but it's part of the job. And I really love that what you said, that it's the old school. <laughs> because yes, technology, it's, it's amazing. You can have a result immediately, but you have to know the, the, the background of, of every technique and old school. is. Yes, old school definitely is. And like I told you, and I'm telling the listeners out there, basically a good thing is when you are by the time that your organism is going to the instrument for a formal ID, you should already know what it is, basically. I mean, yes, of course, sometimes you can get, it can be a degree of variability, but based on your biochemicals, on your morphology, on what you're seeing, okay. on your source, you should already be seeing, knowing what it is, have an idea. And of course, uh, if a new technologist listening out there or a brand new microbiologist, you're doing, well, you know, they look so different. It's, believe me, you know, it gets easier with repetition. It gets easier with practice. You'll get to that point where you can tell, oh, maybe I have a, it looks like I have a stenotrophomonas here, or I have an acinetobacter, or I have this type of enterobacteriaceae, or what they're called now, enterobacteriales. So yeah, on the clinical side, so we have played our sample, we have done our biochemicals. So now it's ready to formally ID the instrument. And I know that we talked about this. So for example, like in the labs that I work with, it has been mostly Vitec to do the final identification or we use the Molitov. Some organisms you can actually, based on certain characteristics, you can ID them. Like uh, I like to mention like Staph aureus, you know, it's beta hemolytic, catalyst positive, coagulase positive. You can call it Staph aureus without putting it on an instrument. So for your work, what do you use to do that formal ID? Like how do you get to officially putting on paper saying we have a listeria, we have a salmonella, we have an E. coli? Yes, yes, we, we mostly use also the Vitec. I think that Vitec is a universal instrument that we, we used in all microbiology laboratories. But also we have something that is known like MDAs. Um, this is basically a PCR by lamp. What we do is to hydratate peels that, yes, that have all the elements inside like polymerase, like DNTPs or yes, everything that you need uh, for a PCR, but it's everything inside a peel. So we just have to hydratate that and then to see the PCR in real time. Also, we have another PCR real time that is known like BACs. It's, it's the same, hydratate peels. 
and we have to to see the fluorescence in in the curve the melting curve have to to be the same like the ATCC control and we have something a little different that we also make corroborations with that that is known like vidas um, this instrument works with antibodies in, in inside of a um, yes inside of um, how do you say <laughs> punta like a very long punta ah oh, yes I, I I I think I have the name just let me a second yeah no problem yes like left cone Life left cone. Yes. It's not a it's not a tip. Punta is tip, but no. It is it's like a punta, but it's uh the correct name, it's a cone. We have cone. To, yes, we have to to take with very delicate uh delicate yes touch that cone. Because in that cone, we have all the antibodies that will react with the antigen of the bacteria. So this, this method is very interesting also. Yeah, as you were saying that about the, like, I think I'm, I mean, if the word comes back, I'll, I'll mention it after the interview on the podcast, but I, I'm visualizing what you're seeing. Yeah, so I'll, I'll think about it and then I'll, I'll go back to that one. Okay, so, and then as far as, in your case, you don't do any susceptibilities, I mean, or do you? Um, you mean like uh, something with antibiotics or something like yes. that? Mm, yeah, no, no, we, we don't make um, anything with antibiotics, but we have some controls that are antibiotic resistance, like E. coli resistant or... Yes, basically, I think we have just E. coli, but it's more like a control inside a lab. Oh, like your ATCC? Yes. Yes, yes. And then for for all of you microbiologists out there. So, yes, as part of the, you know, your ATCC organisms, like, for example, you have, there comes like a staph aureus that's oxacillin susceptible. You get a strain that's MRSA, methicillin resistant. So with E. coli, um, you get your susceptible E. coli, you can have one that's ESBL or extended spectrum beta-lactamase. Um, there are strains of Klebsiella pneumoniae that are carbapenem resistant, your KPC. So yeah, so as far as in your job, all you, you, you identify the organism, you let the, the company know what's there. And then they take appropriate action. But as far as susceptibilities, there's nothing else you do. You just let them know, yeah, this product has a listeria, E. coli, salmonella, and that's it. Yes, we we only have the permission to say to the custom or of the company, yeah, we find this microorganism and they have to take the, the correct actions in the company. But we can't obligate a custom to make something. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, the only thing we can do is to tell the, the company what we find. Yeah, it's kind of like us. I mean, we tell the, we tell the doctor, hey, we have this strain of, we have this E. coli with this susceptibility pattern. And then at that point in time, 
it's up to the physician, the provider to treat the patient. I mean, we don't do that. So in your cases, hey, I have a, just for argument's sake, so you have a listeria or this product has listeria. Now they know, so it's up to them to take the appropriate action. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you, we are messengers, but play an important role because definitely without our work, you know, people will get sick by consuming a product that's contaminated. Um, the same thing, the doctor wouldn't know how to treat this particular wound because of what we do. So it's definitely a very important job. Yes, I'm sure of that. <laughs> yeah. So as far as listeria, let's talk a little bit about listeria. Um, so definitely a very significant gram-positive run yes. that we have in the lab. For our, on our clinical side, it's beta hemolytic, short gram-positive runs. They grow in blood. They grow in chocolate. They have what they call the, it has a tumbling umbrella motility. Yes. What if you put it on that agar, you can see that nice umbrella shape. Yes. On the motility agar. So for us, very significant. We definitely see it when, you know, it can pass pass from the mother to the baby. And that's when we see it, unfortunately, in our clinical setting. We have a baby that gets a blood culture, becomes positive in less than 24 hours of a newborn. And then we see the short broads. And as part of our, of our protocol, we have to rule out listeria. So I know you mentioned two types of agar that you use in your lab, which in the clinical side, at least in the labs that I've been on, we don't use it. So there are Polcom and Oxford. So tell the listeners a little bit more about that agar and listeria. Yes, of course. Um, well, um, after the first enrichment of uh, Fraser Broth, we have to, to cultivate um, the presumptive listeria in Oxford and Polcom. Um, specifically, specifically in these cultures, we can see uh, very typical colonies that in Oxford, uh, they, they grow like um, um, with a center black and very big, um, yes, a very big, um, Sorry, very big shadow, black also. And in Polcom, the colonies are just, uh, well, are green, but it's a very soft green. And the center is also, is also, um, sorry, sunken, sunken. So we can see this typical, um, colonies in the Oxford and Palcom. And then we have to corroborate with biochemical techniques that it's uh, listeria. What we use is also catalase mobility, but we, we have other two tests that are carbohydrates. We can, we can see the metabolism of listeria monocytogenes with helos. And for example, another kind of listerias uh, use the ramnos. So you, you can make that very big difference between if it's a listeria monocytogenes or not, 
because you can see the carbohydrate metabolism. And also we use something that is known like camp test. We, we use that both to corroborate biochemically that is listeria because there are another microorganisms that also use escoline with the ferric citrate that creates and generates that inorganic salts that turns the black media. So it could be a little confused if it's a listeria or not because you can see the black media and say, yeah, maybe it's, it's listeria, but not, not. If you have a, for example, negative catalase, you can say, well, not, or, or the other ones that I, that I tell you, yeah. And always, um, that's where a gram stain also, it's, it's helpful too. I mean, you said catalase, right? So if, um, or is it just like, I'm not too familiar with this argor, but uh, does it grow like it's a selective or can multiple, can I have coxide rods growing in it? Oh, yes. Uh, Oxford and Palcam both are um, selective media because actually these media have some antibiotics that can't uh, permit the, the growth of gram-negative bacteria and another gram-positive bacteria. They are very selective and it's very complicated to have a contamination in this, in this media. Is that, so, it's on, it's, so it's unlikely, I mean, or, or can other organisms and I guess I'm going to explain myself, like, do you know, like, for example, like in our case, we have, uh, we use PAR, which is supposed to be selective for gram-positive organisms, but yet Pseudomonas likes to grow in it. Um, so do you get those instances with something that shouldn't be growing and the blade will grow? Or is it always just your gram-positive rods? Yes, we have uh, sometimes another one positive uh, bacteria, but it's a little strange because our stains are at resistance of, of these microorganisms, sorry, for, uh, for these antibiotics. So sometimes we have a contamination for staphylococci, staphylococcus and enterococci, for example. But because these microorganisms, for example, you know there is a staph, but you can see that the media turns yellow. So you can say, no, okay, this is not because we have to see the media black, okay? It's a contamination. But in the case of enterococcus, we can see the black media. So in this case, yes, it could be a little difficult because uh, the, the colony could be small. Also, if you see a colony very big, you can, you can discard that, that media, you can discard that bacteria because Listeria is a very small uh, colony. So you, you can see some, you can see that, you, you can be sure that it's Listeria if you, if you see this hunked um, colony and if you see the black shadow, uh, in the case of palcom, it should be a little green, olive green, very tiny green. And yeah, yeah, it's it's very something that you have to see. But yes, it's it's, it's very beautiful, Listeria. It's one of my favorites. One. Yes, and so 
one of mine as well. I think it's just like I I told like I told you because you know it, it kind of like looks like gram positive like group B stripe, but then obviously it's not, and it's kind of like it's positive and it's a gram positive run. So I don't know some morphologies of some organisms. They're just you know this is of course you know it's a serious organism, but I like the way it looks in a on a plate. That's just like the micro nerd thing that I have. <laughs> so do you, that media, do you incubate it um, like in a CO2 environment or a non-CO2? Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? Sorry. Yes. So, you know, like how uh, we, we incubate some plates, you know, we put them on a, on a non-carbon dioxide incubator uh -huh. versus carbon dioxide incubator. Yes. No, we we um well Listeria can can grow without dioxin carbon. So what we what we do in the laboratory it's very interesting for this microorganism, it's that we incubate listeria in two different uh, equipment. We have one incubator that it's uh three three grades, Celsius grades. And uh, we have another that it's in 36 uh, grades or degrees. So this is because Listeria um, can make different growth depending on the temperature. And this is because this bacteria specifically has some genes that are regulated by temperature. So for example, the flagella, in, in listeria is regulated by temperature. If you grow uh, listeria at three, at three grades, you, you can see this typically um, mobility. But sometimes if you have a very big uh, temperature or higher temperature, well, uh, Listeria will not develop that flagella, that typical flagella, because yeah, we have uh, some their um, regulators in that genus that yes, it's it's regulated by temperature. It's very interesting. Yes, Listeria is definitely very interesting, and it likes likes the cold, so that's why you can see it in those cold cuts sometimes, you know, like cheese and stuff like that, like in those type of food items. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, so honestly, so you, you streak your plates, uh, do you do the four quadrants or three quadrants? Uh, yeah, it depends of the, of the technical. Yeah. Some, some prefer three quarters and other four quarters. In my case, I prefer four quarters to have very well, a better isolation of the, of the bacteria. Okay, yeah, I definitely like four four quadrants. I mean, I definitely see a lot of technologies that only use three. So there's that variation there. Um, so you were telling, so in your case, so you you quantitate the when you, when you give your final report, do you specify the amount of let's say listeria salmonella that you have, or like did you quantitate it, or you just say you know, listeria, and that's it. Uh, yes, for example, for pathogens, like listeria, like coli, like salmonella, 
Another one we have to say just presence or absence, or it is or not. But in the case of, um, for example, molds and yes, aerobic mesophilic bacteria, we have to say, yeah, we have, I don't know, like 20 units uh, for growth colonies, like UFC. <laughs> and yeah, you, we have to report a quantification to the custom. But just with, with this, um, Yes, with these cultures that you have to count. But in the case of pathogens or, yes, for example, hysteria, you, we can say just presence or absence and that's it. Okay. So that's in a way similar to, to what we do. I mean, some, like we do, and I told you this, that we quantitate our, our urines. Uh, when it comes to the, the four quadrants strict, we use one plus two plus three plus or um you know rare few heavy depending on the lab that you're on and yes there are, we also use some things like uh when we do MRSA cultures and that's using the chromogger or the vancomycin resistant enterococcus we say if it's there or if it's not there okay that's so it's very interesting to see the the similarities and on what we do and what do you do out there Yes, it's very interesting also what you do. <laughs> yes. Um, so is there anything else that you want to talk to the listeners about? Um, well, I think we, we say the, the most important things that we make in, in this laboratory. Um, yeah. So, yes, maybe the the food that are most contaminated. <laughs> we, <laughs> we mostly find the sausages, the cheese, and some vegetables like lettuce. In lettuce is where we find sometimes the more quantity of microorganisms. Um, yes, the company has to, to make a lot of changes and we can see how maybe in one time we we don't find that microorganisms and then six or eight months later we we, we also find the or well, we find again the microorganisms so it's sometimes in companies or food companies it's something repetitive the problem that they have without a specific microorganism and that's interesting yeah right it definitely is um yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has to do with since lettuce needs to be irrigated. I mean, depending on the quality of the water that you use, and um, as you know, like a lot of these organisms, they are in the the water. So definitely, if the if their the water system is not completely clean, definitely there can be contamination. So it makes sense. Yeah, well, sausages, huh? Yeah. Yes, we have a lot of listerias and sausages. It's incredible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes you think, right, about what you eat and knowing that what's out there. Yeah, something that has very interesting also listeria is that these bacteria can, can be growth in cold temperature. So it's something that other microorganisms can't do. So you can think, well, in my food is in refrigeration. I, I can't have a problem with this, but no, <laughs> hysteria can grow. So it's, it's something, 
something interesting with this factory, yeah, the mechanism that she has. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely like definitely likes the cold, and that's why sometimes, especially when you they say that you know, when you have this, like, you know, you go on picnics and you bring these products like cheese and stuff like that. Um, that's why you, people can get sick with it. Yes. And Listeria, I think that Listeria particularly, it's the most harmful, harmful bacteria that we work inside the lab. Yes. Because I think, well, I know that this bacteria can can also go to the to the brain how you said the placenta uh, can go through there so the mechanism that this bacteria has in terms of how is the mobility inside the lab is inside the body sorry it's also very interesting how this bacteria can manipulate the microtubules inside the cell so she can go whatever she wants, <laughs> not just the stomach. <laughs> yes, it's definitely uh, listeria is implicated, and like on the, the obvious, you know, like you know, from food and you from pass to the mother to the fetus, but you definitely see it in yeah, in bacteremia, um, and like you said, uh, CNS or central nervous system infections. So it's definitely a very serious organism. It definitely is. Yes. You know, and then with all these organisms that you get in the food, it's definitely you see in the lab, at least from my side in the trend, as the weather gets better and people start doing outside activities. I mean, now with COVID, it's less, of course, but on, on other years, you will definitely see like in the summer months, you definitely had all this samples positive for salmonella. And you know, as people started going outside, doing picnics and you get some contaminated product and there you have it. So yes, and definitely it's, so you get prepared mentally that, hey, you know, summer is going to be busy with this, especially on, depending on which lab you work on. Like I said, this is an organism that you have to report to the state. So some facilities do it where it automatically gets reported versus maybe in a smaller lab, you have to manually do it. And it gets, it can be very time consuming. But of course, it's part of our job and we do this for the patient. So we just deal with it. Okay, Carla, thank you. And, um, you know, like we were talking about, uh, like you said, from Mexico. So I told you, it was by coincidence, like I had planned a trip to Mexico and then I ended up doing this interview with you. And at some point in time, yeah, I did stop by Querétaro. Um, but I just want to touch on this. Sometimes, you know, there can be some, some misconceptions about, like, people might say from the outside, hey, you know, maybe it might get dangerous or be careful. I have to say that I had a great experience. Um, your country is very organized when it comes to COVID. But, uh, that was very nice. Wherever I go, I went, someone squirted some sanitizer on your hand. They checked your temperature. So it was a a beautiful organized process so from that part and i feel very safe you know very amazing landscape the food was great uh, so yeah i definitely, definitely had a great time visiting your country yes <laughs> yeah 
Thank you. I'm happy to hear that. And we'll hear You're welcome, whatever you want. You have to know it. Um, I'm so happy to, to know people who share the same passion as me. So thank you for this invitation. And thank you for, for everything. Yeah, it, it right, was a pleasure you. to talk with you. Uh, you too. All right. So take care. Yes, you too. Well, there you have it. What a great interview with Carla Zamora from Mexico, an environmental microbiologist. So very important work, just as we are working clinical microbiology is to make sure that the patient gets properly treated. Um, in her work, you know, you make sure that you identify if there are organisms in these products. Because, you know, if they are, if there are, they can be harmful to us as consumers. So it's, it's great work. Great work. And such a great interview. We talked about more media. I mean, I don't know here in the States as a clinical microbiologist, if you're familiar with them. Uh, Polcom and Oxford. And then we also talked about EMB. And I will touch up more about this media on our next episode. But once again, what a great interview. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this interview because I certainly did. It was amazing connecting with a fellow microbiologist and I want to continue doing that. So if you listeners out there want to tell your story about what you do in the microbiology world, please go ahead and reach. You know, I love to teach. I love to connect. I love to talk micro. So please stay motivated. Continue bringing your passion into what you do. It's so important and definitely continue talking micro. I hope you have a great week and until next time.